I'm the type of person, if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you that I don't know. But I bet you what? I know how to find the answer, and I will find the answer. All right, D. Eve McCord. That is, of course, Irish for a very warm welcome, my friends, to Shamrocks and Shanks, and another episode where we get to learn from some of the best professionals in the golf world. Now, in this episode, I get to chat with Dana Dahlquist, who is one of the top coaches in world golf. As well as working with many elite amateur, college, and indeed tour players, Dana is constantly evolving his own golf coaching style and skills, and the result is, well, quite frankly, a team of some of the best movers in the game. We chat about one of Dana's current students, Bo Hosler, and his return to form recently on the PGA Tour, speed creation and the new program, the 150 mile an hour blueprint that Dana is involved in, how a club golfer can swing it right by, well, swinging it right, and we discuss how maybe some perceptions about the legendary Mac O'Grady may have been somewhat off the mark. Now there's a recognizably more of a technical vibe to this podcast than previous ones, and throughout Dana regularly delves into his own experiences in order to present advice for other coaches looking to learn. In a business that at times and in places can be known for being somewhat secretive with the formula for success, Dana really is the antithesis, and what comes across in this podcast is his genuine desire to help, progress, and encourage others, while remaining humble despite his obvious personal success. In the immortal words of one Yoda, you'll only find what you bring in. And from my perspective, Dana Dahlquist is a coach that consistently looks to bring in further knowledge, curiosity, and passion in abundance. In my personal opinion, we would all do well to follow suit. Ladies and gentlemen, Dana Dahlquist. All right, Dana Dahlquist, a uh, very warm welcome to Shamrocks and Shanks. Um, thanks so much for uh, taking time out of the schedule to uh, come on the podcast with us. Yeah, you bet, Steve. You bet. Absolutely. Fun to be here. Um, you know, a lot of people, you'll be synonymous with being one of the, the top coaches um, in, in world golf. Um, originally from Long Beach, um, you work out of Long Beach, out of El Dorado. Students, it's been a number of them throughout the years. Um, a lot of PGA Tour players, I, I know right now, uh, including Bo Hosler and a lot of elite college players. Um, if we kind of just jump straight into this and, and do kind of one quick thing, just because it's happening at the moment and a couple of weeks ago, and when I was out with you in December, I got a chance to, uh, fortunately, Bo happened to be there at the time. Um, but he's had a few nice results, let's say, lately, and a good round yesterday to start off the Arnold Palmer. And I heard you on a podcast last week, and you were chatting a little bit about Bo and the work you've done. And one of the interesting aspects I found was you discussed going back to something he'd actually worked on with a previous coach when he's a junior. Um, you know, you don't have to go into the technical details if you prefer not to, but could you kind of delve into that a little bit more and describe what kind of led you down that path? Yeah, well, so it's, uh, I think the framework of this conversation is, needs to be laid out um, kind of in a unique way. So what, what we're really looking at as a whole, we're not looking at golfers from amateur level to pros as the same bucket per se. Like we're looking at a specific bucket. And um, in that bucket, you have a lot of players that, you know, historically through the years have developed as younger players and juniors. And there is an argument that somewhere between the ages of, you know, 15 to 25, that's when you neurologically kind of have these patterns that are very ingrained and um that doesn't mean they can't change um you know through 
you know, maybe over a course of a two year, three year period, those things can change, you know, quite a bit depending on the person and quite frankly, the, the amount of workload they do. But, you know, when somebody is, you know, my age, if they're, you know, 40 plus years old, that's pretty tough. Um, it's a tough road to hold. You know, it's, it's tough to, to, you know, you know, you might be able to throw some concepts in there and go, okay, well, these, this is what's going to help you a little bit. It might make you drive it, you know, 4%, 5% better off the tee. Mm -hmm. And for some of those guys that might be enough for them to top 10 every week and maybe squeeze in a win. Um, but I think what the general public doesn't realize is that, you know, these guys have a lot of imprinting going on of them hitting shots in the highest, you know, possible way. And if a golf instructor gets in there and says, well, no, no, you got to go this way, then you're, you're kind of going down a different road. Now, what's unique about that and, you know, is in Bo's case is that he does a lot of stuff really, really good. I mean, he, he basically has a very in-to-out pattern. Um, and that in-to-out swing direction, um, you know, can be too much at times. And that's when the driver starts getting off a little bit. And what's really, really interesting is when he was in college and, and, and later in high school, he still had that draw pattern, but he felt like he could literally turn as hard as he wanted and the ball was very straight um, and it made him very, very accurate off the tee and a very, you know, deadly iron player. So I, I don't think that if I fit him into my narrative of, you know, trying to make him look like a particular player, like an Adam Scott or whoever you want to pick, it doesn't really matter. Um, that, that really bodes well to an era of confidence. And, and this is actually something that, you know, he and I chatted about, early on was like, look, you know, you do these things real well, these pieces could be better. And, you know, maybe through a, a later assessment, we can go down um, a slightly different path a little bit um, without getting too far away from the overall goal, which is the era of consistency. Now, um, what's interesting is because there's less problems going on, there's a lot more freeness in his motion, so therefore his ball speed has gone up. Like today in the tournament, he had one at like 179. Um, you know, and you know, if you look at him two years ago, 174 was kind of where he was. So he's he's up there in the 177 range, 178 range quite frequently. And um, you know, statically on a driving range, he, he can do 180. But um, and I, I'm not saying distance is everything, but it does show a little level of freeness to the pattern and now on the flip side of that the other thing that we've worked really hard on and you actually watched this was hitting a lot of flighted wedges mm -hmm. um that was something where we're like look you know if you drive it 10 percent better or five percent better that's great um but these flighted wedges are where you're gonna you know have shorter putts so um and we're looking at stats on that I think that's another important factor, but um, at least that's on the tour end. It, it, it's interesting. It's like, where do you get, um, you know, one player would be in particular is if you look at like Victor Hovland or Dustin Johnson, you know, they wake up and gain two strokes on a field tee to green every morning. So um, no matter what they do. Yeah. And um, so 
it's interesting how every player has their own DNA on how they produce scores. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the coolest things when we did get a chance to talk to Bo when I was out with you was, you know, you didn't bring over Bo and go, okay, this is what we're working on. You were like, okay, Bo, tell them what you're working on. And he was able to kind of go into it and in a very quick manner to his four or five minutes. But I like the fact that he had the understanding of not only what he was trying to do, but why he was trying to do it too. I think it's very important. Yeah. 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 That's the big thing is like at the end of the day, um, you know, if I get hit by a comet, um, hopefully, you know, the <laughs> players, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you never know, but um, <laughs> the, uh, you want to be able to, um, you know, leave kind of a, a, an understanding instead of me having to, you know, constantly relay the same image and them not take ownership. So um, yeah, he's, he's he's a smart cookie so he he understands where his game plan is and i think this and i don't want to go too far down this path because there's a couple of other questions to ask you but it's definitely when you look at those things and be interested in your perspective of true motor pattern learning and you know we have two very different types of learning for example learning how to ride a bike and learning how to speak french for example and one of them is an awful lot mm. harder to forget or remove than the latter one mm. and you know when you look mm. at those players would that kind of play into what you're working on with Bo and other players that you look back and go, okay, well, they're original, as you said, I, I don't know the age group you went there with like 18 to 23, that pattern is going to be ingrained and it's just there. Like we're never going to remove it, but I got to play with it a little bit and then kind of work on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that kind of leads me down an interesting path because obviously, you know, I've changed my stuff, you know, quite a bit. Um, without necessarily losing like the core of, you know, kind of the modeling. And one of the big things that I've tried to be very vocal about um, has been, you know, there is a traditional um, modeling aspect of the golf swing conceptually, how you look at it. And that doesn't mean there aren't different patterns, you know, like specifically if you go to one side of the spectrum or the other, you have a guy who's very CF and hitting out on the ball and, the guy who's more down and across CP, and then you kind of find some midline in there. And, you know, there are specific variables that co coexist within each pattern. And then there's some things that don't. And so what's, and I think for coaches listening to this, this is where, and it's not hard. I mean, this isn't rocket science or anything, but, um, and in, in my opinion, it's not, um, you know, it's just application. Like if you have some guidelines, you know, where this grip matches that, this attachment matches this, and then this direction, this direction. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty easy. Um, but, you know, the part that's difficult in this whole thing is the human element. Mm -hmm. And so I find what's interesting is that as coaches, um, we, we need to realize why you know, Butch Harmon was really good. Okay. And, um, whereas I didn't see that 20 years ago, um, you know, I was, you know, it, I was very much, you know, C spot run. This is, this is how a ball goes straight, but there, there is a human element in there that supersedes that information. Yeah. And, um, obviously the better the athlete becomes or, or is the easier it is for them to apply that information. So that's where I think there's a marriage now. So you have like this, this marriage of the human element, 
the standardized modeling of how a golf swing should work based off a pattern. And then, then the science area in there is, you know, how the body's loading and unloading and marrying that thing together and whether that brings fitness in or not, that kind of creates a completeness of player. Now, for the average golfer out there, they're like, well, geez, Dan, that's a lot of stuff, right? That's, that's just too much. And I think for coaches, that's our responsibility to come in because, you know, I, I think golf coaches, especially myself, I'm guilty of this, is, you know, acting like we know everything, okay? And, um, you know, a lot of egos get involved and everything. And, like, at this point in my life, like, I, don't really, I don't even care. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, maybe that's the California guy. I mean, like it, it doesn't yeah. matter what, what happens, but, but at the end of the day, it's like, there's a communication level here. That's very, very important. And if we understand that, you know, this player has baggage who it doesn't matter if they're a pro or they're, you know, a beginner, they don't have a concept somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And that concept might be blocked relative to some fear going on of, you know, result or fear of missing the ball. It could be, you know, making a cut could be missing the ball and making contact, but it's still the same. And I think, you know, as a coach, we have to kind of look at all those different avenues and respect all those avenues and, and bring confidence to the table. And whether that confidence is coming from the, from the understanding portion, Mm -hmm. or maybe the the confidence is coming from, um, you know, everybody was like, well, you got to hit the ball well to create confidence. Well, not necessarily. I agree that is one tactful way, but another way might just be like, you know, seeing it on film and maybe training it, like creating a feel. So, you know, it's a very well-rounded discussion. And I would, I would say that every coach that has their opinion on it is a hundred percent right because of their experience in that matter. So, you know, I, I think that's the beautiful thing is, is every time I do a podcast, Steve is not to, not to hopefully not come off like I'm preaching or anything, but I think the big thing in doing these is like, Hey, look, you know, um, I'm just a regular golf teacher. And then hopefully I'm giving another golf teacher some confidence to think outside the box and do something awesome and be better than me. So at the end of the day, um, they're, you know, waking up just like I am going to work and, um, having fun in this really cool industry that, um, you know, they're kind of passing that joy off yeah. and that's why we do it. So, um, the only troublesome thing is like, don't do my mistakes or at least try not to do my mistakes. Cause I've done a lot of them. And <laughs> we are, um, yeah. But I, I, yeah, no, I, I'm very much in, in, in line with what you're saying there. I think the, and I think we're getting more awareness of that. Like even I had a lesson this morning and the lady, you know, very much a beginner and she starts hitting the first two shots. She's like, oh, am I lifting my head? I got to make sure I'm not lifting my head. And I'm like, why? She goes, well, my husband told me I can't lift my head. I can't. So again, it was just <laughs> the intention and the perception. And then once I, we explained why she didn't need to do that, it totally changed. So you don't, I think talking to your student and you know getting their understanding of what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it and their conceptual idea of what a golf swing should look like is is step one really for a lot of guys and i think that's becoming more mainstream now the more we talk about it absolutely did you did you uh 
now cause a family argument. <laughs> I, I she was like, oh, my husband's so good. I'm like, you know what? Don't, don't play with your husband for about a month and we'll get you in a better state of mind. And cause as soon as she, like she, the way she would verbalize it, she was like, oh, he's so much better than me. And I'm embarrassing him. I'm like, okay, we'll leave that for a, mo- a month um, and yeah. get you into a better state and change your goals. And you know, it's uh, it's a lot of, um, it's fun though. And Again, as you said, we're all trying to do this. Like the reason I do the podcast is to get people like you on there to, because I know how intelligent you are and to get your message that I've heard from you out to more coaches so we can get people playing more and having more fun. Um, when, when I do cast my mind to back to competing, or sorry, to doing your coaching program online, which was fantastic. Um, and we'll give the details out about that later on. Um, one of the things that struck me in it was, and you talked about was the distance and you were like, you know, I'm not here to, to really, and I'm paraphrasing here, so I'm taking word for word verbatim, uh-huh. I'm not here to like get you to hit it nicer, so to speak, you know, because I want you to get ahead of further because you hit it further, it makes it easier. Um, from that program that was filmed, like I, I think a year and a half ago or whenever, are you achieving that goal with your players and has the method that, or the way you saw creating distance for players then changed to now? Yeah, it's, it's always evolving. I think it's evolving because of more case study. So, you know, I've have, you know, kind of, and it's between Josh and I, I mean, I mean, we're kind of in the pinnacle of club head speed, you know, I would say, cause you know, between us, we have like four guys that swing at 150 miles per hour. So um, there's, you know, what, it, what's interesting, it's just something where data collection isn't, it's not a big sample source. So, but there is some commonalities and what's very unique about those commonalities is, is the mechanics of like, it's very interesting, like how their loading patterns are. They seem to be the same and, um, you know, specifically like how that, and I can't really do this necessarily on a podcast, but how their moment arm is, is it's a little different than what is commonly said and um in, in terms of it's not the length or the stage that it's happening or how the but kind, kind of both and okay. you could probably say how it's being created too i mean all that under the sun where you know how that whole right side chain is kind of loading and mm-hmm. and how pressure's spiking and the distance between and uh, all those things yeah, so yeah, for sure but what's unique it's you know it's basically what Rory does mm-hmm. and um, but he just doesn't know that he does that necessarily and he just feels it yeah. and so that's where like we started taking a step back and going well we need to gear our information towards the training part of that because at the end of the day you're, you're also trying to create specific feels and awareness and patterns Um, And these patterns build into a sequence, which is kind of a departure away from the modeling of the swing, where you would kind of say, well, this is where the left shoulder goes. This is where the spine would be theoretically in a centered looking model. Mm -hmm. But we know that if you go down that road, that you're removing speed. Um, And this isn't, and this is obviously just my experience from that. It's, it's interesting where it's like a guy does one thing and then he does another thing and gains 15 miles per hour. So mm-hmm. now under a microscope, it doesn't look much different. Right. Um, but 
under the hood of it, it's very different. And I think that's where, um, you know, and I'm not trying to kill anybody's sacred cow here, but like, no. you know, it, it, it's interesting where guys get very apprehensive and defensive about it. it says, well, it's all about club industry. It's not, well, no, no, it's not. I mean, we're, we're trying to hit a ball on a cone and we're trying to, you know, somewhat have some recognition that there is some standard deviation here, but I'm not telling guys, unless they're trying to do long drive, I'm not telling somebody to hit nine up on it. Unless you're, you are doing long drive, then you better hit nine up on it. Yeah. But, you know, two degrees up on a driver relative to two down is significant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously with the same driver, yeah, you might need to change the driver a little bit. But yeah, I think that's where, I don't want to sound rambling here, but yeah, I think those are the interesting things that we've that we've observed. So we started gearing it more down that road because there's a there's a benefit to that. There certainly is. Um, Sorry. No, no, no. So yeah, go ahead. Um, do you think then, from kind of the semblance that you're saying there, that there's more of a departure between the two swings? So you would kind of go, okay, well, if I'm going to focus on speed, it's more about perhaps sequencing and the pressures rather than, as you said, you know, in the standard golf swing about getting, you know, lead shoulder here at this point and so forth. So there's more of a disparity between the two. Yeah, there, there is. And, and um, that's where, like, look, if I'm going to take a nine iron and hit a flight of nine iron, okay, 150 yards or whatever, 155, whatever it is, and I got to keep it in a window, um, then I would lean towards minimizing a lot of those principles in order to reduce speed. Mm -hmm. And so that starts weighing itself more towards the modeling aspect, because obviously you're not, your lead wrist is not going to go into extension real fast. You're not trying to blast off the ground, but at the same token, it's like, if you can kind of understand both sides, you're creating a more complete player. Now, if you're a player, you have to make obviously a or the coach let's let, let's take it from the coach's aspect mm-hmm. as a coach you kind of look what you have in front of you so case in point i had a guy yesterday who was an amateur player plays mid-ams and you know he stepped in there and he's 123 club head speed well to play mid-ams you don't need to be 123 club head speed you need to hit a wedge very well and you need to hit short irons pretty good and by the way at 123 his pattern was extremely into out and back and uh, there was a lot of issues going on and I said, look, you just need to straighten this thing out and hit your wedges closer. So at least there is a guideline there where you can go back and forth. You can say, okay, well, if I have the opposite side of the spectrum, which is a lot of guys that I work with, and I'm not saying it's a 50, 50, I don't know the split, mm-hmm. but there are guys that, you know, swing 110 miles per hour and they want to play tour golf. And well, I tell you what, good luck because there's all these college kids that I work with that swing 125 went to 130 and you have to hit it that much straighter and um so that's where I would say well look you know 110 to go to 120 is not that big a deal if you know all things considered Mm -hmm. um and so then we would flip over to that narrative so you can kind of bounce back and forth relative to what the issue is and I think the stumbling block is when we go back to that sacred cow, Steve is, you know, Oh, if you're going for distance, you're going to sacrifice accuracy. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's a narrative. And 
that's a built-in narrative. Number one, the reason why people say that is because their pattern doesn't produce accuracy if they put speed against it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you're going to hit it everywhere if you don't know what you're doing. And um, by the way, the speed that you're creating, if you're going from, I don't know, 113 to 125 and you lose accuracy, it's because your golf swing sucks. I'm being blunt because yeah. Kyle Berkshire hits it very straight at 150 miles per hour. Um, not saying you need to do that, but well, let's look at Rory McIlroy. He's number one in driving and he swings 125 miles per hour. So um, I think that's where in time, I'm not saying I'm right, but maybe 10% of what I'm saying will be right. And which is good enough. Um, but just from an observation standpoint, I think um, that's where we need to be as coaches malleable. We need to be able to bounce between those two standardized modeling and, you know, the other side of it. Yeah. I think the needs of the player justify the path that you want to go. And I think it was a good point there on the distance thing, when you're putting load on a system that's not meant to be already maxed out in terms of a club golfer and you're adding more speed into that system, it's going to break down and you're going to hit it way further mm. offline. So um, mm. what was interesting is, and you mentioned Josh there, that you guys actually have a, a kind of a system going on now called the, the 150 mile per hour blueprint, um, which, mm. is, which is online. We'll give the details at the end. Has that, you know, now that you kind of like we talk about you know, growing as a person and when you shine lighter attention on something, you, you start to learn it more. Has putting more of a direct light on that with Josh given you that bigger insight? Yeah, I think what's really cool is like you can't do this alone. I mean, you just can't. I, I think um, you're starting to see that in the coaching end where. You know, I think having a good relationship with other individuals as far as, you know, trainers, uh, other coaches um, and, and biomechanics guys, whatever you can. And then sitting down and having the conversation um, makes you a better coach because um, at the end of the day, for me, you know, I, I'm already doing as many lessons as I need to be like what would actually make it better well what makes it better is having other individuals and having those relationships and now in in this case with our program that we're doing what's really cool is we get a lot of people that have like emailed in like well i want to do more well we're like okay we'll pump the brakes a little bit for a minute because you know you need to actually like train into this this is why we did this because i could just put out a bunch of fancy information online about like, this is what a golf swing should do. And which is great, but it, you know, they do the information and they kind of get a, they hit a stumbling block and that stumbling block is, you know, at any point in the swing. And that's because you're not training it to work. So we built it into more of a training protocol where you're learning these patterns and these loading systems so that when you do do your first PR, your PR is going to be five to 10 miles per hour faster than it would have been when you started. Um, so that's kind of the interesting thing um, that we're starting to notice is guys are like, well, now I get it because I didn't feel this in my backswing ever. Um, like just to be blatantly um, like random here, but this is say like they, they don't know how to load their trailhead. Yeah. You know, they're, they're like, well, I was told to keep my right leg flexed or one guy said I was told to, straight my right leg and it throws their right hip into extension and they have nothing. So yeah. it's, it, it's an interesting, you know, uh, 
you know, concept. Um, so in any event, that's, that's been the big eye opener there. So uh, that's, yeah, it's, uh, it's something I'd, I'd recommend a lot of people sign up for, because again, you want to have that guidance, you want to have that Sherpa when you're going down that route, just even from an injury perspective and for a functionality perspective. And um, when, when we're talking about kind of more to kind of club golfer and there's so much information out there for them, one of the things I kind of see a lot online is, is the club face being king, the club face kind of rules a lot of things. And would I be kind of right in saying from looking at your stuff that you're more kind of concentrating on how the body movements, the tilts, the axis, the pivots in the backswing. So could we say that maybe, you know, the body's kind of leading the backswing and then the club is kind of having more of an influence on the downswing movement. Would that be accurate or. Yeah, that would be the best case scenario, obviously relative to how you grip it. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have a standard deviation of the grip, which is, you know, neutral strong to strong i guess you could say um now the departure from that could be relative to that grip so you know some individuals might be on the weaker side they have to have other things going on in order to square that face up now um whether that's manual or not so i i i, I will say this that and gosh if we went back three years ago we'd probably be looking at this now going well okay we were right but there's a lot of guys that are playing from a more closed looking face position relative to their peers and doing quite well in the ball striking realm <laughs> um flip side of that guys that are good with their short game are the opposite so um but i think that's the variability and the beauty of this is that if you can be interchangeable the better you get um, the better you're going to be on both sides. So if you want to be fancy with your short game, then yeah, have more deviation in your wrist angles in order to influence those shots. And then, um, and which actually goes back to something I've always kind of done. I'm not a short game teacher by any means, and I'm pretty capable at times. Um, and one thing that is coming off kind of the macro Grady side of things based off of originally Seve, according to, to Mac, <laughs> this is all according to him, um, is that, you know, your grip changes relative to ball position and handle position. So, you know, the ball moving back handle forward would strengthen your grip, the hand, the handle going back, you know, hand, the leading edge going forward would weaken your grip. So I've always, adopted that from early on where wherever that ball position goes and handle goes my grip changes relative to that and therefore the face rotation would in short game would relatively change to that now as you move into hitting a full shot it's kind of it's a one trick pony and and now unless you're trying to hit something creative around a tree then i might change it but yeah. um i think for the average golfer um you know, that's where they tend to struggle. They tend to struggle with number, what, what, what should I be doing when I hold that club and how do I create face awareness? And if that face awareness, you know, subsides, then they start trying to manipulate it through their hands and it goes away from their body. So I think, and this is why we kind of made a standard deviation of a slightly stronger grip allowing that face to be somewhat close to the path, um, especially with a body driven pivot is helpful. 
right? I mean, there is there has to be something squaring that face up. There is some form rotation per se, but that's why we want to make sure that we have you know good torque application through your body. Um, so yeah, yeah. Hopefully that was not too over explained, but um, oh, no, like you do you like that's 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 why we we want to jam the show. Um, so <laughs> we're gonna go one one more for the kind of club golfers out there, and then we'll just jump onto a few questions that might help some coaches. Um, mm. the, I think we'd both agree there's there's very few absolutes in the game. So if we're talking mm. to all, all the club players out there and kind of giving them one or two things that you have as a preference, um, mm. high on your priority preference list, what would they be um, for the club golfer? What do you like to see that's perhaps easily more manageable than a lot of tendencies that we do see? Yeah, I would say learn to, and I'm a I'm blanket statement here, I would say learn to get your swing direction right of your intent. Okay, now whether you do that through ball position, whether you do that through aim, whether you do that through the swing direction itself of where that club's going, which could is going to be going from in to out, is going to help majority of players. Now, um, how they do that is relative to your whoever's standing in front of you coaching you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I see plenty of guys that, you know, if you're not going to practice, take your arms in more and swing more out to the right, fine, do that. But it's far better than the latter, which is, you know, getting your swing direction straight to the left. I think that this brings in more problems, especially when you start looking at long clubs and when you hit, you know, shorter irons, um, not hitting a, a, a pancake straight up in the air, <laughs> flipping at it. But um, I think across the board, that's kind of, the one thing that I see with most people staying on a mat at a public range. Yeah. Get, get that swing direction more to the right. Hit, hit, yeah. that, hit that home run into the right, right side bleachers. Yeah. That's an, exactly. that's an Irish guy saying that too. If I can understand baseball, anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So roll into the coaches section and we'll kind of keep a similar question if that's okay. Um, sure. You know, I, and I know, as I said, I've been out to you and I know you get a lot of requests to come out and coaches to shadow and ask you a lot of questions. Um, what's some of the top qualities and let's go with two that you would see in some of the coaches that you've either seen that you've been influenced by or kind of overall scale. Yeah. I think the, the interesting thing about all the coaches that I've met is initiative. Um, every coach has that I've met has taken some form of initiative to better their understanding and their knowledge base. And it's kind of goes back to the relationship thing is um, the ones that are really good um, go to everything and try to learn everything, whether or not they apply it or not. And I think that's a, a, a very good quality. Um, it's not like they're stuck on one thing and saying that's the only way, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I, I think that's the big thing. It's like, yeah, you could be a, a fan of a BMW car and that's all you ever have driven, but you never experienced, you know, a Toyota Supra ever. Well, that's just one way of looking at things. And I think it's important to um, go outside the box there a little bit. And once again, I think that introduces you to other patterns and other ways of thinking. And what we're really looking at 
in doing that isn't really necessarily the mechanics per se, but you're learning other people's experience and what they see on a daily basis. Now you got to remember like my damn, my demographic generally of people that I'm seeing on a daily basis are low handicap play, <clears throat> players that um, are somewhat competitive or they're college players or they're pros. So I'm seeing a lot of guys with similar actions that are doing similar things. So when I get a high handicap player who, you know, shifts off the ball and stays on his right foot and doesn't turn and, you know, fans the club open, I don't see any of that happening with a college player. So it's, it's important to know where if I talk to another coach in the area and we spend, you know, eight hours together, their, their experience is important to me because they're teaching something different. And at the end of the day, that makes me better. It makes me better as a coach. And so I, I've, I've learned that also on the technology side. So I, I try not to be too married to one form of technology. So if, if it's TrackMan that I use generally, and then, you know, I, I would look at Quad or I'd look at, you know, what, what they're doing or any other, you know, basis. Let's look at 3D. I kind of see where things are coming from. So on the 3D end, if you go from AMM to Gears, you start seeing those patterns in AMM are slightly different than the patterns that are in, that are in Gears. So the numbers aren't exactly the same because based off capture. And so that's an interesting thing. And those, those individuals like Michael Neff relative to maybe, I don't know, Phil Cheatham, like what they're looking at. Yeah. So I, I think that's important for coaches to understand is like, Hey, take a trip. And, and if you see something online with a guy who's, you know, teaching um, golfers, you know, why are they heading in that direction yeah. um, or pick up the phone? and call them that's it I, I always say to everybody i'm like dm them message them email them and like you know these are i, I had dinner with um, sean last week at honda and he the first thing we talked about was how many messages he gets every day and he was like you know if i get a message from a tour player i'm obviously not going to answer a message from some random teacher that day but keep yeah. trying you know what i mean so just because they don't answer doesn't mean you shouldn't keep trying yeah because it, it's so yeah. important to uh to get the, to get out and see people in action and, and see co- and ask your questions face to face too because yeah. there, there are no stupid questions well maybe maybe not <laughs> um, so when you kind of talked a little bit about that and you, you talked earlier on too about the way you kind of change your stuff from from progressing from year to year which i really i, I that's one of the things i really like about you actually is that you're not just stale and in, in, in kind of repeating the same thing um where does that for you, that initiative come from or that influence come from um, in the last two or three years? Like, are you looking at technology to kind of move your thoughts and beliefs or is it just meeting, as you said, meeting other people? Uh, all of the above. I mean, I think the, the interesting thing about where we're at right now is, I, I mean, we have a very good understanding of, um, I, I would say, the how the body's actually doing what it's doing and to be honest it's it's really refreshing because you know if i went back 10 years and i was very like hardcore modeling i would say there was a lot of things that like that weren't working and um it wasn't from lack of effort either i mean i'd be on the range all day long Mm -hmm. and certain players would do things i'm like well it doesn't it's not producing what it should 
and um, even though the picture looked the way it should. And on that end of it, it's like, okay, now there's more, you know, miss hits or off center hits, there's, or whatever the, the issue was. And now it makes complete, not more complete, more complete, I won't say complete, but more complete sense on why those things were occurring. And um, so, and it's, it's just interesting how, how things have gone where even on 3D, those things are not really malleable. They're a little bit more hardline. So, but when you start seeing some force data and then you start seeing some body loading scenarios, it kind of, I guess you say, kind of brings to light the malleability of this whole system. Mm-hmm. And what you kind of have to condition to make that picture look in 2D, what's actually being represented on 3D and force plate data. That's what's very interesting, um, especially the loading part. It's it's kind of fascinating to watch. Yeah, I, I think, and even if we kind of yield back to like what you were saying about qualities, I think there, just as you're talking about that, you, you can hear the passion in your voice. And I'm kind of the same when I get like some like new piece of data or when I'm listening to this, like maybe Mark Bull or something talk about biomechanics and I'm like, you nearly get giddy because if you're learning something for the first time, because it clicks in your head and you go, oh, well, that explains why that person did that. And now I have a reason for it. And now I can go back and, you know, it's, it's, yeah. some, really, it's some really, really cool stuff. Um, but I, I think that's, that's so important that we kind of, I, I'm not saying there's teachers that do this, but perhaps there was previously where they would have a, have a model or system, the player doesn't fix it or match it, excuse me, and they just leave it be and then they don't do anything. But I think taking that player and going, okay, well, I thought that should be right, but it didn't work. So going and finding out why it didn't work, I think leads you down to some really, really good paths and some exciting stuff. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that statement you just said, um, and I would balk this years ago, but you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to play golf um, in the hitting the ball aspect, I would say. And you know, it, you'd look at it and go, well, that's just very unique or interesting. And then you'd never really had a way that you could, could help that player. You know, you'd have to throw them into your pattern. And um, that's the big departure now is like, we now have better understanding of relationships where you actually can help the player without making some, something so substantial that they're not capable of going out and winning tomorrow if they're on a high level. That's, that's the part where, um, you know, I was talking with a, a college coach the other day and, you know, you look on the range of these players that were in, in Texas and there's three guys on the range that are top 20 players in the world and in, in college. And a couple of them have only taken two lessons in their life. And you can tell, like you look at their swings, you're like, well, that's just crazy looking, but they can get the job done. And they're shooting five under every round on a pretty tight golf course in some 20 mile per hour winds. And they have their pattern. So I think that's, what's interesting is like, if I went in there and took that player and then rebuilt their golf swing, I've taken away their genius from them from a lot for a while. And maybe they don't get it back. You know, maybe they're not going to be, there won't be great. Whereas potentially these players are going to be, are going to be great. Good example of this. And this is where I think what's really neat. Um, and, you know, I'm not very talkative, but um, to other coaches, but when, uh, Tony came out in um, 
on tour, like, gosh, it was maybe like eight or nine years ago. I, I could have this completely wrong. And Boyd was out there with him, uh, wow. Summer Hayes. Yeah. And Tony hit this, it was like 130 mile per hour club head speed down and across cut with a weak grip. And he would kind of slice the ball into the fairway. And I had it on track, man, because we'd play practice rounds together. And, um, you know, Boyd and I have been friends for, for years. And he's an unbelievable coach because um, he really cares. Like he cares about his players and he understands how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is seeing the evolution of Tony never losing his ability to play golf while changing his pattern. Right. That's, that's the part of people, because they're not seeing what I saw, which was the track man numbers change crazy from being like six down to being close to like round level and the swing direction is pretty square. Yeah. And then him being able to hit both sides, hit a draw or a fade um, and never really losing control. And at the same time, being able to stay within his means. So that's a tough thing to do because he had kind of a home built golf swing. Um, obviously he's an unbelievable athlete, but that's where I think coaches can really learn something. They're like, okay, well he's evolving himself over to some standard deviation over time, but never losing the ability to coach where if I was in the same shoe, I don't know if I'd be able to do that at that time. Maybe now I'd have a better sense of it, but go back 10, 15 years ago, I go, no, you need to look like Robert Rock. You know, sorry, my dog's barking. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's definitely, it's a really interesting, I, I think there's more awareness or, or maneuverability, let's say, to allow players to keep their homegrown patterns now than there ever has been, you know, so that's a really, really good thing. And like you said, as soon as you kind of, what you don't want to start messing with is the performance aspect of the player and how they perform on the golf course. Um, it can be, they said, if you go down that path, they might never get it back. And you you, you mentioned Mac um, a little bit earlier on, and obviously he was one of your many influences. Uh, and could would you kind of describe him as, uh, although working through kind of like a 2D kind of perspective, that he was one of the original kind of biomechanists, so to speak. And, you know, if, if when you're around him, you're privy to, to some info, maybe not so much, no more. Was there one particular ingredient that he looked for, or was he just, as you talked about earlier on, just all encompassing of information, gather as much as possible? Yeah, he was very good with, um, I mean, there's a couple of things. I'd say the biggest thing for the most part early on that he was an early adopter of was understanding like the difference between like the radius of the golf swing, which would be somewhat the left shoulder and maybe the center of the turn. Mm-hmm. Now, what's funny is he didn't actually do that um, <laughs> um, per se, um, because he did shift off the ball early, um, especially earlier on because he was a long hitter. And, um, but he did have that relationship where the left shoulder would be the bottom of the, of the arc and then the center of the body would be the center of the pivot. So that would be probably number one. And then number two would be learning the relationship of the, you know, the shaft, how it maybe bisects the humerus and where the hands are relative to that humerus and where the left arm would control potentially the swing direction. And um, so it kind of created a circle and how the, that, where the arms are and how that controls the circle. 
So you kind of had this idea of like a hub or a circle and how it would go around the corner potentially. And I think he was, you know, from early iteration, that was something that we inherently look for. So that's something that I still somewhat use. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I would say that in particularly maybe like the down and across pattern, um, which would be kind of, you know, getting your left arm and right arm to kind of come down, mm-hmm. um, you know, off your chest earlier. Um, that would be more CP mechanics. Um, it does have some vanity to it. The, the problem is, is when you start putting speed against that, um, and we're not talking, you know, 116 to 118, somewhere in there, like, yeah, that's speed. And if you're able to do it that way, that's fantastic. But if you start getting up into like road club edge speed, that pattern doesn't work. You start seeing more like what Rory does where, um, and even Bryson per se, where your arms are kind of trailing more of what your body does. Um, Xander does that real well too. Um, you know, that's where you start getting that 190 ball speed area. Um, so there's a little departure on that. Um, but it doesn't, and I'm sorry, this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but no, no, um, no, no. It, it is a, it is an interesting thing because, you know, I, I find that, you know, in doing that pattern, there's some vanity to it, but then you start, you know, you start going, well, wait a minute, Tiger Woods didn't do this in his prime either. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if I would, I would do that. Doesn't mean principally he didn't control his axis, but I'm saying like um, within some degree, but the, you know, loading pattern of the body and arm relationship wasn't done in that way. So. Yeah, I, I think he, he's, he's a great, well, he's had like what, three or four different patterns in his time and one with the miles. So um, yeah, but even early on where he used to get the like center mass across the line up top and then, you know, obviously changed that. And then maybe this is more trending backwards. It's, it's 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 trending on knowledge and experience and knowing oh oh well i thought that wasn't good but now i realize with all this information actually that was pretty damn good and everybody else now is trying to look like that um yeah yeah what, what, what's kind of on the side kind of funny is like obviously on my instagram i like to put up like kind of like in the winter when i'm kind of not teaching as much old school clips from youtube and i go out and i kind of search all these ones and i'd say 90 percent of the time when i put them up you kind of mess me back and go i was there I was there. So oh. <laughs> you've been in this kind of like, what did I say? You're like the quantum leap guy of uh, golf, golf mechanics. So you've been kind of like in this circle of greatness for, for years in, in terms of, I know you originally worked with Mac as a player and then kind of grown up. Um, is there anything from that, those people that you, a belief that you took from them that you still work with today, like aside from Mac, you know, like I know you, like, I think I posted one about Elkington and you were there and, was there anything that you learned from those guys and, and the player interaction that you still hold true today? Yeah, I think like, and I could say that, you know, like one of my earlier mentors was Bobby Laskin. He was obviously a, a Grady guy. And so during that time um, in that group and Matt kept everybody somewhat separated at, you know, for his own purposes, but mm-hmm. um, you know, Ted was there and uh, Kevin who's in Hawaii was in that same you know, he's been posting some stuff online, um, who was originally Michelle Wees and uh, Tad Fuchikura's original coach. Okay. And, um, you know, he was around, uh, Terry Okura was just before me, but I know Terry um, pretty well. And, 
I would say, yeah, Bobby, um, his brother-in-law, Mike McNary, who's also a good golf coach in the area. Um, he's a little on the, on the quiet side online, but like we all kind of were, you know, chumming around. And so a lot of the things that I witnessed early on, because Bobby's a little older than me, you know, was like, you know, it was early on was like a factor, you know, it was just, you know, lesson after lesson and good swing after good swing. And, um, you know, watching that kind of made me understand what needed to be done, you know, and, and we're talking when I was like, you know, 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Um, watching that. And, um, and to this day, he's the same way. Like he's, he has a, a factory going on and a lot of good players. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that we teach exactly the same stuff and, and nor should we, I don't think that should be the case. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that was a big influence. I, I think, but then again, you flip to the other side of the spectrum of the swing mechanics thing. It's like, I, I really understand now why, um, you know, the, the sports psychologists say what they say even though they might not be able to at times give you the way to apply it. Like they, they, that's kind of the flip of this whole thing. And, and, and I'm not saying all of them, I say some of them do, like some of them do. I think some of them have the application and it's more, it's kind of a training thing. Once again, you can't just think of it. Like it has to actually like kind of be trained into there. Yeah. And where, you're trying to protect that confidence. And this is when we go to the pinnacle of the coaching industry on that, we, we look at where Butch Harmon comes right back into the conversation and where he's able to either protect the confidence or instill the confidence in the player, whether or not it's ideal or not. And um, what's attractive to that is that's what brings better players to that coach and is because of that. Um, and it produces results, which also brings players to that coach. Yeah. So, um, and, and I think that's where, you know, you said Sean Foley met with Sean. Sean's very good at that as well. Like Sean's a good person to talk to. I enjoy his company. Um, we might difference on opinions on stuff. And sometimes Sean and I do chat about things. But from a, from a philosophical standpoint, you know, we, he and I have differences on things. Um, which we should, and um, but it makes me a better person talking to Sean. Yeah, I think that that's the interesting part. Um, makes me a well, more well-rounded individual um, because of that. Um, and so, because he's obviously seeing different players than I'm seeing. Um, so, I think that's where, I, if I could give one lesson to anybody in this conversation, that would be it. It would be be as diverse as you can and who you associate with um, because you're going to see people from different walks of life, different cultures and everything. Um, and, you know, in the coaching world, you know, if you talk to somebody who's grown up in West Texas and given lessons there all day long and you come to California, you're going to see completely different ball flights. So it's kind of nice to hear what somebody has to say when you're like, Hey, well, my player struggles in the wind. We'll go talk to the guy from West Texas. He'll tell you how to get it done. So um yeah 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 i think the dynamics at play even the day i was with you there was a, a girl there who was um who works at the el dorado and you know so i'm arriving me let's just hypothetically say at middle level 
looking at you top level trying to aspire to be there and getting knowledge from you and then she was like I think that was like she I don't I think she was just starting off in the PGA program but when we were talking in the, in the cart ride up she was like oh, I'm really nervous about giving my first lessons and I'm like oh well and I started like sharing knowledge that I've learned so it, it's mm-hmm. once you just start talking to people you'll, you'll learn something as long as you're curious uh, and yeah. not judgmental from the off you have to be curious um so do, do you think just as an aside do you think max system and i could be very wrong on this kind of void or goes against that um sports psychologist kind of role that we have to be in this state or in this flow to play good golf that he was so i'm gonna say i'm gonna say could be the wrong word mechanical but he kind of fought the fight that you could be mechanically perfect so therefore that state wouldn't matter yeah i think that's the that's the era given off but not the actual case okay okay yeah yeah so that's a good statement to say so um if you're watching videos of him in instruction it's pretty hard line like we'll do this and it'll execute this and therefore it does this um and you and i know for the most part that that's not going to work like it sounds good because in a vacuum you know that should work from an engineering standpoint but i would say that um what he was also really good at away from the camera and the playing aspect of things is he was good at distracting himself from the minutia. So um, now almost, almost too much because he would go like when he would bird dog something, he would go, you know, crazy off the, off the deep end on it. But, but there was a level of understanding there. So like, um, you know, the pace of your routine was, was presented um, your waggle was presented, um, you know, kind of making things, speed up was presented um or slow down was presented and then kind of having flow in there was brought up and um but not from the basis of the mechanics of things yeah so i I think you know i I, it's interesting it's like people would say and and i'll defend them on this point like people would say like well like he ruined sevy it's like well wait a minute like when he worked with sevy he won twice you know, he didn't win with the other guys. He was working with, with Mac when he won. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think because of that, it's because Mac's a player. And so Mac and him would go out and they would hit, you know, random shots all the time. You know, they hit balls around trees and under trees. And he was trying to keep them creative and keep that aspect to them. Um, and it, it's kind of a, it's an easy thing because, the individual doesn't defend himself obviously online to, to say otherwise. Um, But that certainly wasn't the case uh, for sure. But that's, that's really cool to get that insight because it's, you know, it's easy from an outside perspective, from my perspective where I don't really never met the guy, look at the videos and you get this image, you know, just through being a human being that when I fed this information and visuals that he was very much a mechanical, but it's kind of cool to, to see that he kind of, knew there needed to be a little bit of oil in the machine too, to make it all work, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, I'm not, not, don't mean to embarrass here, but you're one of the, like, from my perspective, when I talk to other coaches, one of the most respected and popular coaches amongst um, us kind of up and coming in terms of who we look to, to learn from. Um, and I, can you discuss your education program online and, and the website and how that came about and, you know, what are the goals from that? Yeah. So, I mean, I could tell you where, 
it is and where it went wrong and where it went right and where it's going. <laughs> so we don't uh, need to look to the past. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's important because I think there should be more of them. Um, and I know it sounds weird, but the, I mean, there's, you know, Scott has his, um, which I haven't, I unfortunately haven't done because I'm just time broke, but um, you know, he's a knowledgeable guy and he's done a lot of observation and he's obviously improved his over time. And, um, and I think that's awesome. So the, the more of this that's out there, it's, it's once again, it's just more experience for, for players that are like me, that are time broke that can, you know, learn. So what, what was originally done was kind of a baseline modeling aspect, which was pretty much where I was at. And, you know, on the tour at the time, I had a couple guys that, um, you know, did the stuff that I did and, you know, they did fine, you know, and, um, you know, COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, I lost a couple players, fine. But then I, kind of took a step back like, okay, what could I have done better? Um, at least on this, you know, side of things. And I think where things are at least going to be going is that it's going to get into more of the patterns of players. And then on top of that, more case studies of these players. So, um, you know, kind of their timeline on why they do what they do. And I think what'll be good about that is it'll kind of bring to light why let's just say, you know, player a has their swing the way it is, you know, if, if, why did this player go down this road? Well, this player went down the road because of this. And I think that's a little bit more um, respected. And I think like, Oh, this player has a fear of a ball going left. So therefore they have this pattern. Yeah. And because you're going to run into that or this player doesn't like wind off the left. So they do this in their pattern. Um, and that's, I think, going to be a pretty helpful for coaches um, because it's pretty easy to say this is an inline pattern and this is what it should look like. I mean, okay, thanks. Like, that's not that hard. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's not rocket science. So, um, or this is how a draw pattern would be, right? Okay, well, here's some track man data and there's standard deviation that's pretty easy. So, but why does the player struggle with that pattern when the wind's off the left? You know, where, what do they actually do when they do that? Um, the reaction changes, it changes the whole entire grid and then they have a particular pattern. So um, that's the direction it's going. Um, so it should be pretty cool because I think it's also going to have a break between like handicap levels. So if you're a, an elite player, there's going to be some models. And if you're not an elite player and you're a beginner, there's going to be some models. Cool. So, um, and some of that content's been shot already, but um, it's slowly rolling out. I only have so much time I could do all this. So it's, it's tough, <laughs> man. I, I like that phrase time broke. I've never heard that before. So oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely from my perspective, obviously I tried to do as uh, kind of look into as many coaches as possible. And, and one of my favorite ones was uh, Course Games because Jeff Smith posts up a lot of online lessons. So you saw what he was doing in different scenarios. And it's kind of like as a coach, if I was to do your online certification, as you said, it's, it's patterns. So me, myself, I could write all that down and put it up on my website tomorrow. But if somebody called me and went, yeah, but what happens if this happens? I don't know that. So 
having where it kind of looks um, a little bit more in depth and, and what happens when you see more of a similar player in front of you. Um, definitely hugely beneficial to all the coaches out there because kind of that's what we're looking to learn. Um, and that's on www.danadalquistgolf.com, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, correct. Perfect. We'll do all that stuff at the end. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're just going to switch to a little bit of a kind of it is still a golf topic, but it's very prevalent in your area right now. And it was something that I kind of noticed when I was there in December. Um, there's a proposed bill called Bill AB672. Forgive me if I've got the name right. I think it is. And it's proposed by a local kind of councillor, Christina Garcia. And the bill is basically trying to close all the municipal golf courses in the California in high density areas and, and convert them to parks. Would I be correct in, in what the, what the bill is about? Yeah, it's it's parks and, you know, housing and, okay. you know, it's it's a it's a money grab. <laughs> OK, yeah, so that that's why I wanted to give you the, the platform to talk a little bit about it, because I've seen from you. Um, somebody, uh, Josh, who uh, does some stuff with you um, and some other guys posting about it. So I just wanted to give it a little bit of highlight and give, it, give you a chance to kind of describe it and, and why it's not a good thing for, for a golf course and indeed for juniors in, in the areas. Yeah, you kind of nailed it. The, the, you nailed it right there. So, you know, um, good example is Chester, Washington uh, in Los Angeles. Um, it's in a very high density, um, low income area. And um, there's uh, a lot of uh, people that hit balls there, play golf there. Um, there's a junior golf program that's really well done, um, very active. And unfortunately, um, in a lot of these areas, you know, kids need a place to, you know, have outlets, um, good social development uh, with good mentorship. I think that's the big thing that's missing. And I think when, and this is just my opinion, but when you increase the density of population in the area, you need to have more support. I think um, the more density there is, it doesn't necessarily mean that the income level goes up. Um, and you're, you're kind of removing um, good social outlets and character development and um, you know, growth and learning when you, when you do that. And so in this certain situation, it's become very popular that, um, especially in California, it, it's more of an, I guess you'd say it's like an ideology more than anything that golf is an elite sport. And in reality, what occurs is you are really attacking the lower end of golf. You're removing the lower end golf, but you're keeping, you know, the elite, side of golf yeah. and so um and i think what we need to be doing is like increasing actually in populated areas more golf not removing it because it does teach you know the right values and and uh character development and also socializing with with people and one of the big aspects people don't realize about this game um, obviously golfers do but people that would be listening that don't know this is that if you have juniors at the age of, you know, 12 to 17, and they're going out making a tea time with random people on the golf course, they're actually learning skills from people that might be in the workforce that are playing the game of golf, and they might be making connections with people, whether it's in blue collar, white collar, doesn't matter. And um, they start looking at the ethics of these people that are playing golf and learning those ethics, and then um, developing those relationships that 
you know, they can pass on to other people. And I think in knowing that they actually get some mentorship from the game on top of just the skill of playing the game. And, but a lot of the people that make these rules and whatnot, you know, they don't, they're not golfers. They don't understand, you know, they're looking at it from, you know, protecting their political ambitions and maybe, you know, unfortunately in the city of LA taking their bribes. Um, not afraid to say that because it's actually been, you know, in the paper, but <clears throat> that's been kind of the problem is that our political figures, um, you know, have been on the take uh, any opportunity that they can. Mm -hmm. So this is just a, another one of those. Yeah, it's it's definitely housing is uh, one of those um, financially incentivized um, <laughs> reasons to to uh, to bend the rules slightly. But I think this, you know, when you talk about because I didn't really know about this this bill and the way you just put it there, I think you put it beautifully in terms of our kids are going to be influenced some way or another. Okay, it's going to happen, yeah. whether it be social media, whether it be their mates down the street, they're going to get it from somewhere. And if we have that opportunity that already exists to give them an influence, and not only an influence, but a great one in terms of, as you said, in terms of learning rules, guidelines, hanging out with other kids, having fun, making connections that they could use in the workplace later on, like those are all really, really good things that, you know, if you don't have them already, it's, it's hard to find them and, and create them. So why get rid of them if you already have them in place. I think that's, uh, I, I could understand how massively frustrating that must be. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think I think at the end of this, I think it's gonna get potentially shot down now, it'll be brought up. The problem is, is that, um, you know, our you know society here is swung so far in one direction. I don't, I'm not trying to go into any politics here, but I'm just saying like it's swung so far in one direction that it, um, has lost sight of the middle of things mm -hmm. and um you know and when it does that it's dangerous because there's no checks and balances so um i think at this point um we're in a pretty good place but maybe not 10 10 to 12 years from now yeah uh, short-sightedness is a worldwide issue um yeah all right. 100%. <laughs> very, very final last question. You're in a banquet hall. There's 300 people standing in front of you. You've got the microphone. Battery's only going to last for 30 seconds. So you can't take any questions about what you're going to say. Come up with one statement that you feel would send everybody home a little bit happier for the evening. And it can't, be about, about guacamole. It can't be about guacamole. Well, I was going to drop a, a rap line. Okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, I would just say that um, every day is a new day and stay the course at this point especially where we are right now <laughs> absolutely 100 dana um thank you so so much mate for your time and and for everything you do like you've been very good and helpful to me allowing me to come out in december and and allow me to communicate with you and help me out so i really really appreciate it um i think all our all coaches around uh, appreciate what you're doing and the knowledge and the information you're putting out there and the the swings on instagram that we can all learn um so massive thank you for today and and in general Thank you, sir. Definitely. Loved it. Right, Take it easy. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. All right. So that wraps up another episode and huge thank you to Dana Dahlquist. The information that Dana brings to any conversation is always top class. And in my opinion, what is even more enlightening is that it is delivered without judgment or critique of the learner's current knowledge base. You feel at ease to learn without feeling that you should have known it in the first place. I would like to mention one thing specifically, and that is the current assembly bill discussed in this podcast. 
Assembly Bill 672 is a proposed bill that would exempt California municipal golf courses in high-density parkour areas from the Public Park Reservation Act and the California Environmental Quality Act. Now basically that means it would make it easier to rezone those areas into housing developments. I hope that listening to Dana articulate how important these golf courses are for local junior development from a life skills perspective and not just a golf perspective will give you an understanding of the potential repercussions of such a bill. Big thank you to you guys out there as without you listening and downloading these podcasts it wouldn't keep moving forward with such regularity. I really do appreciate the support you all give it whether that be likes or downloads and if you do enjoy it please make sure to rate the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As always if you have any questions on the show, would like to work with me on your game or indeed of any general comments you can contact me on Instagram at stevemoregolf or through the website www.smgolf.info. Finally, as always, for your own game, don't forget, work hard, work diligently, but most importantly, work smart, and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care.